I am Doug Friedman. And I am Sasha Bronsky. And this is Your Mental Breakdown, the podcast. And you are still not Meredith. I am still not Meredith. No, and no. But you've come to terms with that. I, you know, I'm in this gradual process of accepting that I am not <laughs> Meredith. So. Aren't we all? Yeah. Aren't we all? <laughs> You know what? You know what? I am. I'm gradually accepting that, that you're not Meredith. Yeah, that one took me a while. <laughs> that it is freezing in my house. Yeah, it is. And if you think that, then <laughs> exactly. I, gonna... I am a popsicle right now. Right. I mean, yeah. and you know my house. I like to keep it cold. But we had uh, the power went out. We had partial power. I'd never heard of this. That we had partial power, where instead of like. We lost power because there was huge winds mm -hmm. in LA. It was crazy. Days ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have like low wattage things can be used, but high wattage things can't. I've never heard of that. That's so bizarre. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of my neighbors have the same thing. Like, isn't that weird? Yeah. Like, so who knows? I mean, maybe y'all out there that are more technically inclined, <laughs> electrically inclined than mm -hmm. certainly I am, which is 98% <laughs> of you. Uh, maybe you yeah. understand it and know it. Yeah. I don't. All I know is the heat doesn't work. That is very unfortunate in general, <laughs> currently, presently. Right? Yes. I prefer that. Like I would rather it be cold because I can layer up when it's 98 degrees mm -hmm. outside. And you have no AC. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, that's, that's brutal. <laughs> that's brutal. It's true. I just coming from the East Coast originally and like right. living in Boston for a long time. Yep. I have a complicated relationship to the cold. Right? Yes. I love the cold because it's temporary mm. to me. <laughs> My parents would would say to me whenever I went to school in, in DC, mm -hmm. and we've talked about DC, yes. that out there, I loved, I would call them and be like, whoa, guess what I'm doing? I'm scraping ice <laughs> off the windshield. It's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, because you're coming home in a couple of years. <laughs> if you weren't. Yes. It's like expiration dating. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, those are suggested dates. The milk doesn't really go bad. <laughs> Until it does. Right. Until it's like, chunky. Oh, God. <laughs> when you need to eat your cereal with a fork, that's oh. when the milk's gone bad. <laughs> oh. Speaking of cereal and cold and places, uh, Meredith is moving. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen, and she will be back with us. You just moved. I did just move. Yeah. Yes. Are you still in boxes? I have got some boxes left. Few of them were propping up the TV for a little while. <laughs> um, I recently got a lovely TV stand. So nice. it's this gradual process of unpacking and it's more boxes full of books and uh, you know, yeah. stuff of that nature than boxes full of anything <laughs> super significant. Yep. It's a gradual process for some. I grew up with just but we moved around a lot. So okay. always boxes around. It's mm -hmm. just what I'm used to. Yeah. When I was at UCLA studying religion, looked at the sacred and the profane. It was a book by Iliadi. I've referenced it before, but mm. looking at how we set up our sacred spaces. Mm. And you might not think your space is sacred. It's like just my room or just my apartment or whatever, but it is. It's where you wake up. It's where you go to sleep. It's where mm -hmm. you spend a majority of your time for most of us. Totally. So surrounding yourself with like the little odds and ends that you like, the books that you like, mm -hmm. the blankets, the pillows, the yeah. you know, statue of me, whatever you have out there. <laughs> so how do you make it yours? Right. I moved around a lot when I lived in Boston and 
Hmm. as most people do in those like transitory college years oh yeah but yep yeah there's a difference between like a place you live and a home Hmm. and how do you create this sense of home right and that's i think what we do now as therapists is try to help clients create that for themselves internally then it comes out externally Mm -hmm. even though what you and i started talking about was externally setting up your space and and making mm-hmm. yourself comfortable and surrounding yourself with the sacred to you. I think both are extremely important. Yeah. And I think if we can be comfortable with ourselves, home is anywhere we are. Exactly. Like exactly. Right now, I'm very much at home sitting on your couch and, uh, <laughs> and hanging with your dog. And well, I'm not comfortable with the freezing part. That part you know, <laughs> is not home. <laughs> right. like, yeah. yeah. I, I like when it's cold. Mm-hmm. I don't like when I'm cold. Mm-hmm. Big difference. Yeah. But this idea of like home being a place versus home being a feeling versus home being people. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many different ways people conceptualize the idea of home. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you stop to think about very much until you feel not at home. Mm. And then you look at, I'm not at home because I don't have my people. I'm not at home because I'm at this weird camp or this new school (laughs) or this new neighborhood. Right. It, It becomes a lot like what mental health is for many, you don't realize that there's this thing called mental health that we need to check in on, take care of until mm-hmm. something's off. Yeah. Then we're aware of it. It's right? the check engine light. Right. Right. Like, yeah. and it's checking in like what is going on? Oh, I feel disconnected from my people. Right. Oh, wow. I haven't really paused to see where I'm at right now. It's interesting too. The check engine light. We've talked about that. Yeah. I, I reference that all the time. Mm. And I think you can drive around and kind of go, yeah, yeah, the, the oil light comes. Yeah, it's just on. Whatever, I know. I need oil. You know, we're like, yeah, I can tell the brakes are squeaking. I probably need to get fit. And we won't really tend to it until there's a problem or a breakdown, mm-hmm. right? Have you been in my car recently? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Might be a few of those. Yeah, um, but not- completely. And that I think both of us believe in in terms of mental health is... Can you come in before the car breaks down? Right. Mental health preventatively. I love that. Not just reactive to something, mm-hmm. right? It's interesting when you are doing therapy with somebody and something does happen and then you look at that and need to address it. And mm-hmm. that's on both sides of the room. I've done that as a therapist and as a client. When you have your, your therapist and you have that relationship and something comes up, great. Now you've got your person in place to talk about it. Yeah. Right. That's kind of what is going on with Sarah and you guys are about to hear it. And your house is, is now not full of people anymore. Now not full of people. Yes. Yeah. How was it? It was amazing. And Hmm. terrible all at the same time (laughs) um right well the family reunion portion of it was absolutely amazing like the best we've ever had first time in my life i actually felt sad when it was over on a day two of the family reunion we get a message so that same side of cousins one of the brothers Mm -hmm. another brother who i'm very close with He's been in the hospital for a little while, so he had pancreatic cancer, but he was in remission, so he was actually doing great. But 
on Sunday, his liver failed. And we basically got a message from his dad saying that the doctor says, if you want to basically come and say goodbye to him. Wow. So wow. him and I are very close. So, of course, when I read the message, I, of course, burst into tears. I was freaking out. So <laughs> dropped everything we were going to do that day. Nothing can prepare you. I mean, the closest I can relate it to is when my dad was dying. When I got there, he opened his eyes because I held his hand and then he saw me and he squeezed my hand and he started crying. He basically looked at me. He's like, we all have to pay for our sins. And that just made me so, 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 so sad. Hmm. So that was, it, it still is extremely rough. Another part of this is I was so angry that we, I mean, there was like 30 of us in town that could all be tested to be live donors. And none of us had been told about it. And obviously I would have immediately done that before it got this point. So I asked to speak to the doctor. I mean, at least is he on a transplant list? So the doctor came in and he said, he's an alcoholic and he cannot by law be put on a transplant list or receive a live donor organ until he is sober for six months. I mean, I knew that there was that law in California. I love doctor shows, so I watch all of them. And I did know that. Right. But I did not know that he was an alcoholic. And that was the part that ah. was really weird to me. There was zero warning signs to me, except for his flightiness. Like, I always used to joke, like, oh, he's a bit of a flight risk. He might not show up. But I always just kind of put that down to him being being young and being a little bit like undecisive because he's always been that right. way since he was a kid. Right. But as it turns out, he's been a high functioning alcoholic was people who have mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. taught themselves how to be an alcoholic without anybody ever knowing, I guess. But to me, that was just like so incredibly shocking. That broke my heart. I don't know. It, it, I'm still sort of wrestling it with, with the whole thing in my head. Yeah. It, it, it's a lot to absorb. And like you said, shock, probably more than just shock. There's a, a flush of feelings that we get. There's a lot of them that come in. So many. And it's grief we're talking about. And no matter how many times you've, you've lost, you still go through grief and it almost compounds it because it's your system will go through every loss you've experienced in some regard yeah i mean so mom and i went first and we walked in and we both had like instantly it walks back out and just like burst into tears because I, I don't think I, I was prepared yeah to see him like that you know he's a young fun guy just you know he's and of course, at the beginning, I didn't know this information that the doctor gave us. But when I put the two and two together, I think he was telling me, like, we all have to pay for our sins. Like, well, I deserve to die because I'm an alcoholic, which, of course, nobody deserves to die. And I don't believe that. No, I'm not going to say that because that's going to come out all wrong. But say it all wrong. We'll, we'll retract it later. Okay. His brother, one of his younger brother, put his kids to bed and went into his bathroom and shot himself in the head. So considering alcoholism, you know, giving an alcoholic 
an organ that could go to a dying child or a baby or whatever. I get it. I understand it. But looking at it from a place of love and from a place of understanding and from a place of what are his alternatives, really, I feel so much sadness that there's literally nothing I can do. I mean, he's too sick to move. So, you know, you take him off these machines, he's not going to make it. So I don't know. There's a whole element again of, I think, a running theme through my life when I can't fix something and something that, that intent, I mean, that's a, the consequence is, is him gone, right? It's death. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's literally life and death. And that's very sad. It is very sad. I'm sorry that you you went through that, especially because it seemed like it, it blindsided you. Completely. Him being sick and him being an alcoholic, both those things. Yep, completely. I was just a wreck that whole day. My sweet daughter, she was... Just so sweet. You know, I went to tell daughter. And of course, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be all brave. I'm not going to cry. And of course, instantly just start bawling. Hmm. Bless her heart. She's so sweet. She's, she knows how, how close I am with cousin. And she's, she's a very sensitive soul like me. She hasn't quite yet learned to put up the guards. And so things are, are big. Like how I remember things being around the age of six, seven before I realized, okay, here's what I got to do. And I don't want her to do that. I want her to feel the emotions and, and be open to them because I don't believe it's really done me a whole lot of good. What about, what about you feeling the emotions and being open to them? I felt like I didn't want to feel them in front of her. Does that make sense? But I did anyway. So it does. I couldn't stop it. <laughs> well, and she's not in front of you right now. Yeah. And I'll throw this word out. It might seem harsh, but I'm throwing it out. And the betrayal that he's an alcoholic. Yeah. I didn't, I honestly tell you just said that I didn't think of it like that. In my mind, it was my fault for not noticing it. Yeah. And as, as, as much as you take that on, my fault for not noticing it, because I'm really perceptive and I'm really good, he's even better at hiding it. Yeah, apparently. It's still a betrayal. You're very open. Yeah, you're a fixer, sure. And maybe he didn't want to be fixed. Yeah, that's what my sister told me too. She was like, maybe he didn't want you to know for a reason. I've put three of my brothers and sisters through rehab. And so in my mind, it was like, well, what the hell? (laughs) You know, I've already helped all of these people. Why didn't I see that? Or why didn't I step in? I don't know. It breaks my heart. It really does. And it's, I mean, he's still hanging in there right now. He's not gone yet. His kidney shut down yesterday. So they did like a like a four-hour dialysis treatment. Go back for a second. Why didn't I see it? I don't think that you can be that kind of high level, the job he has, the, the, what he, even what he does. Like, how can you do that drunk? I mean, maybe I just have no, I, I don't have any data. So it's just hard for me to put the two and two together. I'm thinking through all of our years together and there wasn't a single thing. But I never, I don't know, I really missed that one. Maybe it wasn't just that you missed it. It was that he didn't want you to see it. And this was the burden that he carried. He didn't want you to take it. No, no, he really didn't. I mean, he didn't even want me to know he was how sick he was. 
Right. I mean, I understand he knows me so well that I think he knows exactly what I would have done. I would have made him go into treatment. I would have made him stop drinking. Either he, I don't know, either he wasn't ready or he didn't want me to be responsible for trying to help him. We, we have this idea in our heads that, well, if I knew, if I had only been a little more diligent, if I had only been a little more observant, then I would have known. And if I would have known, then I could have done something about it. Then I could have fixed it. That's, that's the bargaining. Yeah. That's the bargaining phase. And that's the phase where we start to take on a lot of the blame and a lot of the guilt. And he didn't want you to know. That's the betrayal. We talk about this a lot. There's no control over that. You have no control. Yeah. So that was my <laughs> last week. But honestly, the rest of the of the time was, it was really amazing. I mean, we were all extremely sad. It's gut-wrenching for the person who has to leave them because you're like, okay, oh, yeah. it's for the best and I'm going to be back, I promise. But... I have to leave now. And especially when somebody is not entirely coherent, they're in and out of consciousness, in and out of, of even, I think, cognitive anything. Sometimes he had no idea. He would try and talk to us and it would just be like a string of random words, except when he said, we all have to pay for our sins. He said it very slowly. Yeah, that line really stuck with you. Oh my God. Yeah, that one wrecked me. Because I had no clue what he was talking about. I was like, what sin? <laughs> like, what the hell are you talking about? What have you ever done? Besides just be the nicest, he's the sweetest, like most generous, most loving person ever. So I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? So, yeah, all of it rough. I'm sorry you're going through that. It's the hardest thing. Yeah, it really is. And there's nothing you can do about it. And then I'm going to bring in an element here that we, I actually really want to talk to you about. So my parents left the cult, but they still believe in wackadoodle things, in my opinion. Not to everybody. This is my opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm going to preface this whole, the whole rest of this train of thought with this is how I feel. They've got some weird beliefs, and that is fine. But when they look at me, when I am bawling my eyes out about I'm about to lose, not, my, not just my cousin, but one of my best friends, and they turn to me and they say, we know because we laid our hands on him and prayed for him that he is going to be healed. I'm like, Do you, I, a part of me wants, and, and this is what I've always done with them, which is why, for the most part, they don't say this type of thing around me. Because I'm like, okay, mom, as soon as you can give me data or you can, you can show me, show me somebody who was a cripple and you laid hands on them and they are now walking, I want proof. Right. That's all I want. One time. It doesn't even have to be multiple times. One time that somebody has prayed for something that is irreversible, okay? This is not like a tummy ache or a headache. This is me being completely blind since I was born, okay? This is cousin laying on a hospital bed with failed liver, failed kidneys, 
but somehow they're going to heal him by praying what oh anyways normally i let it go i'm like oh that's so nice you guys that's so great i'm so happy for you this time it, it just pissed me off i am not mentally prepared to deal with that so what i want to talk about is clearly there are feelings for me all around regarding the entire idea of prayer and deities and all the things, right? Because I've heard it my whole life, never seen it. It's not actually happening. Nobody's actually being healed. I mean, prove it. That's all. I hope somebody proves me wrong. But I have been prayed over my entire life and nothing has ever happened. It makes me angry when there's something so, so serious, like a person dying. It to me almost seems like a like they are making it about them or they're taking away from the horribleness of this situation. What they are doing is taking away from your emotional experience of this. They're not relating to you from that place. They're not doing anything wrong necessarily. They're coping with it the way they know how. The reality yeah. is your brother is dying and he is probably suffering right now. A lot, like a lot. They might be making him as comfortable as they can, but he is, he is suffering. Yes, and every time he would like come out of one of his like dozes, he would just like, ah, just screaming in pain. Yeah. My point is, why does it make me feel so angry? I know it's what they believe, and I know in my heart and my brain and everything that is smart about me knows that this is just them doing their thing, like you said, to cope. That's how they cope, right? They put it on Jesus. How do you cope? How do I cope? I mean, honestly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What does is, what is your patented t-shirt say? <laughs> Keep calm and like Sarah handle it. Can Sarah handle this? Can you make this one better? I can't make it better, no. Okay. So don't keep calm. That's why you're angry. I can't do anything about this. You are angry. And you cannot make this better. No, I can't. And that that makes me like just very, very sad. And honestly, I just I don't want to start crying because then I'll just be all cryy the whole time. But if if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. It's not about keeping calm. It's about being real. And what's real for you is I'm so angry, so angry that this is the situation that I didn't know about this. That it's a betrayal. I had no idea. And it's not fair. And we all have to pay for our sins. What does that mean? And are you paying for your sin? You're such a nice guy. And alcohol, okay, but you were coping with what you needed to, how you needed to, and what? Yeah, angry. Yeah. Angry. And anger is, is somewhat covering up what's right behind it, which is so fucking sad. My best friend is suffering and will be dying, is dying now. And there's nothing I can do to make it better. There's nothing I can do to change it. You're allowed to break down and feel sad and get cryy. <laughs> yeah. 
can. This is how you feel. This is you and me. Only now, since we've been talking about it, you brought up the word betrayal. I hadn't even gone there. I think I'm still in the sad, you know, just like the shock slash sad part of the whole thing. The anger, (laughs) the anger comes out when I just feel like, oh my God, like, how dare you right now try and minimalize, I don't know, for me, I, I don't know, to me, minimalize is what they're doing. They're basically saying, oh, this is no big deal because this dude in the clouds is going to heal it. But that's not the case. There are doctors and specialists and he is hooked up to God knows how many machines. This is not something he's just going to, you're going to pray over and it's going to happen. And the whole day I would just be like, that would be the only thing that would make me stop crying was the anger. I felt every time they said that. Yeah. And I'm not angry at them. Like I, I love my parents. It's the, it's just that. Oh, I don't know. You hit it. We hold that anger. So we're not so sad. And no, you're not angry at them. You're angry at the situation. You're angry at being helpless, powerless to it. Yeah. Hopeless, powerless. helpless. All those things. We hate it. We hate it. We have the stages of grief and loss that we go through. And so we don't have to dwell on any one for too long. Yeah. Because we don't just pass through them one at a time and go through them all and check them off and there I'm done. Mm -hmm. We kind of spiral through all of the stages, denial, bargaining, anger, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've spiraled through them all like over and over again. Yeah. Only, I mean, the anger I haven't felt except toward my my parents. And again, bless their hearts. They're not doing anything wrong per se, but it just hits this chord. You angry, you angry at your brother? I'm not. I know why he did it. I'm not angry at him for doing it. I'm angry at me for not help, helping him, for not knowing what was he going on. He didn't want your help. He didn't want your help. I know, but nobody usually does. Not right now, but you will go through a shift because I'm not going to let you stay angry at yourself. You can be angry at the situation. At some point, you will be angry with him, and that's okay. Right now, we don't want to be because he's suffering enough. Okay. I will clarify it's my cousin, not my brother. I mean, he's basically like my brother. Like he's He's been with our family most of his life, but... What is really sad to me is that there was nobody there to pull him out of it or to even recognize that this was an issue. And when the doctor was talking to us and saying how he can't get a transplant because he's an alcoholic and he's been an alcoholic for many, many years, apparently he finally admitted it to them like after a couple of weeks in the hospital, and he said he was drinking a full um, handle of vodka a day, a day. Wow. Sort of like shock and anger about the whole thing. You're allowed to be angry. It's okay. It's, it's part of the whole process of it. When we try to make it make sense, when we put the pieces in, I mean, that's sometimes that'll lead us to the bargaining piece Sometimes it's just trying to make sense of it. We need to go through all of that for sure. However you're feeling and whatever you're thinking, like this is the time to let that all out. 
I'm at that stage where it's so it's it's still happening. So I'm either just bawling my eyes out or I'm kind of just trying to make everything make sense and hold myself together. You know, like today was my first day back in the office. You know, I was like, leave it at the door. I've been crying my eyes out. If we would have talked yesterday, I would have probably burst into tears. But there's, um, you know, and again, we go back to why I'm in therapy. <laughs> there are my, um, my walls and my mechanisms that I set for myself. And I don't allow myself to feel certain things at certain junctures or times in my life. And today had to be one of those times because I had already been gone for four days. Today I got into work at seven in the morning. I never got up. I didn't take a break, nothing. And that's just day one. My headspace right now is dealing with it, but not from my heart, from my brain, from my brain. Part of it too might be we need that. Yeah. I have something else to focus on. A lot of times when we're going through grief, if I can focus energy somewhere else, and sometimes that's focusing it on the anger, and sometimes it's focusing it on a distraction, whatever you need to do to get through, and you will, and you will feel it all. Oh, yes, I know. I do already. (laughs) The timing of it couldn't have been more fucked up either. We were all coming together for actually a celebration. I mean, oh, and I didn't even tell you the most ridiculous thing. Well, second most ridiculous thing. My sister got COVID. My sister got COVID the day before she was supposed to fly. We're just like in a cloud of, of bad luck or something right now. It's just rough, rough stuff. Yeah, it but is. the actual family reunion was beautiful. Honestly, it was amazing. Like, I've never had so much fun and peaceful and, like, mm. we, we didn't fight. And, I mean, for our family, that is huge. Every single family reunion, I'm playing Mr. Fix-It. There was none of that. We just, we all had just the most incredible, wonderful time together. It's rough because I really just wanted to just really sort of sit in that moment, which is, wow, we all got there. I I just felt like everybody has come to this place in their lives where we all respect each other and we are all just not so full of our own crap that we can't just hang out and just do fun things. You know, like we even played freaking board games and we did puzzles and we were just having fun. It was just a wonderful, it was really, really amazing. It's sort of the meta of what life is. It's both of these things. It's the joy and the pain. You're right. The beauty and the pain. Yep. And sometimes they're side by side and overlapping as they were for you. It's just all part of it. Yeah. And we allow it all to be because we, we can't change a lot of it. What is, is. Yeah. What is it? And we don't have to like it. But when someone's been suffering for so long and, and been struggling for so long to not, and, and for me to be that close to the person, it, it's unbelievable to me that I missed all of that. As good as you could have been and are at seeing those things might be as good as he is 
at concealing those things. Yeah. I mean, I guess we really never truly know anybody. I've heard people say that. I'm questioning like everything now. I've had loss in my life and, and looking at that and thinking, oh, if only I'd known. Oh, I could have done something. I could, And that that's part of the process that we go through. Yeah. And the reality is you can't be in someone else's head. You don't know what they're going through unless they tell you, unless they, they show you certain things. And you might see signs. But not if they don't want you to, I guess. I guess I can turn it around to me. I mean, no one who knows me knows anything about me. They have no idea. And, and keep calm, Sarah, can handle it. Yep. What's on the back of that shirt? <laughs> I mean, that nobody sees. So much doesn't fit on the shirt. A QR code. <laughs> scan for more information. <laughs> exactly. Scan it and you'll see. All the... There, yeah, the Bruce Almighty drawer that mm -hmm. comes out. The cabinet with all the files. Exactly. Yeah. And everybody's got their version of that. How did I figure out... Sure, I have issues. I'm in therapy. But how did I figure out how to do life when so many of my of people who are very close to me have not or did not and are now in the ground. Well, they, they figured it out for them as best they could. But he didn't. He was just slowly killing himself. Yeah, but that's what he figured out. Yeah, I guess that's what worked for him. But does that mean he wanted to die or he wants to die? No, no, I, I don't I don't know that that many people want to die. They might want to not live this way. For example, you have been slowly killing yourself for decades. With stress? Not intentionally. Yes. Yep. And that's that's what's on the back of the t-shirt. Nobody sees that. Yep. Keep calm, Sarah. Can handle it. I got it. Hashtag cancer. Hashtag ulcers. The idea is okay, right. And how you happen to be is someone that goes, wait a second, this doesn't work. I do want to look at this, okay? There are many others that won't have that moment. There are many, many addicts that go, wait, I do want to stop. I need help. And many, many more that don't. Yeah. And they all find their way to get through life the way that they know, the way that they can. And that's it. And the tragedy is... When others think and see that they can help them and help make it different, help make it better, you just can't. You can't live anybody's life for them. You have to live yours. Yeah. I don't like it, Doug. I don't like that answer. Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> I don't either. I yeah. really don't. I really, really don't. Yeah. And it's something that I can't change it. I can only help the people that come to me. Yeah. Those that don't, if they suffer in silence... Not much I can do. Right now, you're going through this. So whatever, whatever hits you, let it hit you. If you need to compartmentalize it, fine. As long as you have an outlet and you realize you're going through this too. Yeah. You and I are going to pick up next week and we're going to talk about the back of that t-shirt. Okay. If you All need right. to be the front of that t-shirt, go for it. Okay. But as you saw, daughter got a glimpse of the back of that t-shirt and she was okay. Yeah. Right? Because you know what? She's like, Mom, that's the T-shirt you're wearing. I like who's in the T-shirt, not what's on it. Yeah. Sweet bug. Yeah. All right, Doug. 
all right i'm sorry you're going through it and uh i'm here with you and we are back we are oh yeah that kind of awesome yeah this was a i mean you said it when Mm. like hey can you do this one with me like Mm. yeah oh this one Oof, there was a lot in there and i was thinking like really was there a lot i mean there's the grief there's the thing mm-hmm. with her cousin who feels like a brother and mm-hmm. yeah whatever it's not that much and it is yeah like it it's not compared to some of the other sessions slash episodes however we're you know mm-hmm. wording this where there are a lot of big themes going on this was this one through line Right. And um, good point. Yeah, I was thinking about it on my way over where grief, like alcoholism, these are, this might sound really weird, but like two of my favorite things to talk about. Well, it's, it's a lot of the, the world that you've occupied as a therapist yeah. and you've experienced this around you very much. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you know how it deeply affects people and you've been affected by it. And, and you kind of, yeah, if we're talking about it, yes, I yeah. get it. The empathy's there, the understanding's there, the work is there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Let's get into it because yeah. it's the real stuff. And it's the real stuff, I think, less so with alcoholism and addiction, but more so grief. Like that is a universal human experience. Oh, yeah. Whether it's grief over a person, whether it's grief over like a time in your life, whether it's grief over a relationship. Right. Like we all know grief mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you guys got into this. We couldn't help but get into it because mm-hmm. it's where she is. You, yeah. you guys are actively hearing this. And she was going for a family reunion, mm-hmm. um, getting together with family. And the reunion wasn't like, uh, like, hey, we're having a barbecue for our 50th of this. It was a memorial was taking place. Yeah, And that was something that she said, like, we knew what we were there for. And we were all getting together. So it, it was nice and it wasn't. I wish there were better mm-hmm. circumstances. And then this happens mm-hmm. while she's there. Yeah. So it, it's, man, yeah, wild. But you're, mm-hmm. you're hearing her actively going through some of those initial stages of the grief. And processing them in real time. Right. Because sometimes we'll come back and be like, oh, here's my grief process. Or like, this is, you know, right. my takeaway from grief. Right. Whereas like, this is her really tapping into, oh, this is how I feel. And I love like how you held it with her hmm. the whole time. Like I, and I'm just going to fast forward to the end for one quick second where sure. the last thing you said to her, Doug, was I'm here with you. Yeah. I'm not here for you. Right. But like, there was something so incredibly powerful about hmm. I'm here with you. I hmm. will walk this emotional path with you. Right. I'm not going to walk it for you. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm not here to support you, even though you are, but I'm here with you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. And and it really is that kind of thing where you might not necessarily know what you need or what you want, just knowing that you're not going through it alone. You're not the only one Mm -hmm. experiencing it. I think Mm -hmm. that might be even a meta of why people like the podcast or can relate to it yeah. just going along with Sarah or with Drew or with us. Like, yeah, we're, we're going through this mm-hmm. and that's what life is. We're going through this. We're all going to experience grief. Mm-hmm. We are 
all going to die at some point. Mm -hmm. If you're not, you can, you know, private message me and let me know how you figure <laughs> that one out. It's something that we, yeah, we all do. And doing it in silence or doing it alone mm -hmm. is just crushing, crushing. Yeah. Yeah. And to pull in like the alcoholism piece for a second, like when she's yeah. talking about her cousin and the not knowing, right? A lot of times people do suffer in silence. Yeah. And in recovery from whether it's addiction, alcoholism, anything, like right. there's such power to being part of a community, like being part of, to feel not alone suffering in silence. Yeah. Well, and not suffer in silence, yeah. or if you want to be mm -hmm. in silence, you're not alone in that. What I've found personally and professionally is when we do keep it in, that's when those other, some people call them negative emotions, mm -hmm. really take a hold. The, the mm -hmm. guilt, shame, and embarrassment. Those mm -hmm. are, I think, the three big ones that mm -hmm. can be devastating, Yeah, especially if you're already going through something and grieving mm -hmm. or trying to figure out or understand Mm -hmm. or hurting in any way. It doesn't have to be your mental health. It can be anything that you're going through. Yeah. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Totally. Like, but not, I think there's a difference between being alone and feeling alone. Oh, yeah. Which yep. I know is something you you and Drew kind of hit on sometimes. Right. But even more than that, the minute like shame enters the equation, the minute like we don't feel like we can speak about something. Right. The way I'm kind of thinking about it, that's when it starts to fester. Well, and it was interesting hearing Sarah talk about that her cousin, he never told her. She didn't know. She didn't yeah. even know that high-functioning alcoholism was really a thing. Like, how Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, and she was telling me some of the stuff we cut was when she was telling me some family stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, we used to get together all the time. I'd see him every week, and mm -hmm. he would have, like, one beer throughout the whole night. Like, well, that you knew of. But her point was, he just didn't tell me. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. And she was beating herself up for not seeing it, for not doing more. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting and heartbreaking that that's where she went. Yeah. I get her process mm -hmm. and allowing her to do that. And that that's part of where she goes first. Mm -hmm. and we'll point that out. We'll talk about that. Yeah. And it's a really natural thing because your inclination is I want to help as opposed to I want to just be with yeah. and be there and mm -hmm. see it. When you try to help right off the bat, mm -hmm. sometimes the person that you're trying to help will feel that guilt, shame, or embarrassment. If they don't talk about it, they don't have to feel that mm -hmm. necessarily outwardly. Completely. Yeah. And it makes complete sense to me hearing this, why that's where she went. Right. Because Sarah right. is someone who of data and observation. Those are her, and I'm just going to quote past episode right now, like that's her <laughs> system of safety. Right. That is how she knows how to maintain her own sense of the world. Yep. And yep. for her to experience such a profound feeling of like guilt and shame around, I didn't see this. Mm -hmm. I'm someone who, due to my own hypervigilance and powers of observation, right. which are her like, trauma survival mechanisms. Right. Missed this. Right. And it, it's very meta. Right? It is. Yeah. And there, there are some things that we will beat ourselves up for. And the fact that she can now say it to me, that's the meta that I'm referring to. We're in therapy and she's talking about the guilt, shame, or embarrassment that she's feeling about having not caught this, having not known yeah. this. Right. 
And the point that I really tried to drive home was as good as you are, because it is mm -hmm. not just her system of mm -hmm. safety, but her superpower. She yeah. can take care of things, you know, keep calm. Sarah yeah. will handle it. Like we made reference to that several times. I and mean, that's, that's a superpower. Yeah. We just need to harness that. And yet here's something where it wasn't about that because as good as she is with that, his superpower might've been concealing it. Of course. And just holding that space for her to step back from control and fix and all of that. Right. There was a line in it that hit me so hard where you're talking about like the feeling of powerlessness. Yeah. Like there was nothing you could do. And that right. is why you're angry. Right. Right. And allowing yourself that anger. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, personally, I've been through it where mm -hmm. talked about it on here. You and I've talked about it, my mm -hmm. wife's suicide. Yeah. And that was one of the most, difficult things I've ever had to go through. And part of my process was looking at how did I not catch this? How did I not do anything? And as good as I was, mm. she was just as if not better at concealing. And not that she was trying to conceal with any malintent. It was that she didn't want to feel that guilt, shame, or embarrassment of what was really underneath it. Completely. And the powerlessness that I had was devastating, especially as a therapist that does this for a living, that's talking to you guys now, that you hear me walking through this with Sarah. Mm -hmm. Like, how did I not do this in my own home? How did I not see this? And it was, oh man, devastating, devastating. And that powerlessness and the thing that I really wanted to poke at with Sarah was there's anger there. You're allowed to have that. Yeah. And to peel back, like, I love that you hit betrayal because yeah. you went there and yeah. I hadn't even gone there in my head yet. Right. And obviously for everyone who has already heard the episode, neither had Sarah. Right. And right. at first I was like, Ooh, but I want to just point out this and how you did it. I loved mm. how you couched it and you softened it being mm. like, this might sound really harsh, but bear with me. Like right. there was right. a grace to that. Yeah. That I just want to like give you, kudos for thank um, you i'll welcome. take them i'll take them i remember again me going through this in, mm -hmm. in the worst possible way yeah if anybody mentioned betrayal to me i would jump to kim's defense yeah like, what are you talking about no 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 yeah and the reality was there was a betrayal mm -hmm. and it's both it's yeah. both those things completely right Listening to this episode, I, I've done a lot of work in like substance abuse recovery, which is similar but different. And I remember a bunch of times in my personal life, I just want to help you. And mm. I have this one really profound moment where my friend said back to me, I just need to want your help. Wow. Yeah. And, like I think about that all the time. Like, yeah. And it's similar in this, like with her cousin he probably knows that she would do anything. Right. And in a way, maybe he was protecting her from that. And that was his way mm. of being kind, mm. even though given the choice, 10 out of 10 times, she would say, no, 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 no. Yeah. Don't choose that. I'll be there. Yeah. What do you need? I yeah. got you. And it's not what he needed out of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And if it was one more person that was mm -hmm. just trying to get him to get help or get clean, whatever yeah. it was, they might not have had the same relationship. And it's so hard for her because it's really about sitting with what she's going through yeah. and allowing that process 
even though she's thinking about him and what he might have been going through. And, and eventually, I got her to see it by virtue of, of looking at her daughter and how yeah. her daughter reacted, mm-hmm. looking at how her kids can handle some of these things so that she doesn't have to protect them all the time. Yeah. Wow. Maybe I don't need to have my guard up all the time. And again, the meta of we're in therapy talking about this. So at some point, it might translate into she's more comfortable talking about it outside of here. Mm-hmm. But we're at least giving her the space to do this where I don't. if she wasn't having therapy, maybe a couple of her siblings she talks to in this way. Yeah, she needs this space right. to process. Right. And I, I agree to your point about her, her kids, her daughter in particular, in her doing this work with you, it enables her to model how to soften a little bit, how to let even her kids right. see her have emotions and normalize. Like I think sometimes in society, we're told don't have feelings. Don't show your feelings. Well, and that's, yeah. And interesting to me that a lot of what got her angry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was when we were talking about parents. Oh, yeah. And how, you know, her mom would just use faith or use prayer as that's what she's going to look to. That's what she's going to lean on. Mm-hmm. And Sarah was very angry that it wasn't dealing with the reality in front of her. Like, look. He's got pancreatic cancer. His liver is failing. This is what's happening. And she even said flat out, show me a case where prayer has helped any of those things. And I wasn't going to hit it then, Mm -hmm. but the idea is, well, prayer does help not cure those things, but they help the people Mm -hmm. on the outside internally process and go through and understand Mm -hmm. those things. Completely. Like prayer helps the person who's praying. Right. But it might not affect the outcome of her cousin's health issues. Right. And what I enjoyed is her anger coming up and it was such this reaction based on her residue imprinting all of that. Right. And it really highlighted, she's like, I want proof. And like, no wonder she is so into data and observation and all of that. Because growing up in the environment she did, there was no proof. And she was supposed to just believe things on blind faith. Right. Which goes against how she is as a human. Right. My sense of her from listening to a decent amount of these at this point. Right. Is anger is not her go-to emotion. Except when it is righteous. Right. Except that quest for justice. And it's it's when it's on somebody else's behalf, right? Mm -hmm. But just feeling the anger, to me, it's a necessary, I've said it before, it's a secondary emotion. Mm -hmm. It's a necessary entry point to get to the motion. If you bypass the anger, you might not get to the true emotional experience of something. Yeah. So I'm I'm big on allow yourself to feel the anger. And like you said, Sasha, like, okay, we can do that right now. I'm not going to take it away right now. Mm Like we can have a moment of this for sure. Yeah. You know, especially because it's, I mean, for her, the shock and anger of all this, she's, she's with family granted for a memorial, but seeing people she hasn't seen and it's really nice. 
not to mention one of the relatives was going to come in from from mm-hmm. out of town yeah and right before getting on the flight finds out they're positive for covid so they can't yeah like, i'm i'm glad they realized right before <laughs> right. as opposed to after right. but uh right right yeah and it's it's that the shock and anger of everything I'm like yeah and that's and openly talking about the grief process mm-hmm. and it's not like cool today in this session you've gone through shock and anger yeah. next week we'll work on bargaining and denial then in three weeks, you'll get to acceptance. acceptance. Right, exactly. No, it doesn't yeah, work that way. Not at all. And going back to what we talked about at the beginning, like we all have our own experience of grief. What I really, and this is from early in the episode that I'm going to circle back to, what you said to her was like, no matter how many times you've lost, you still go through it and it compounds because your system will go through every loss you've experienced. Right. Yeah. I've made reference to that earlier on the podcast. Mm. and. Somebody was like, can you explain that? I don't understand what that oh, means. Okay. You know, and it's it's exactly what we're just saying. Yeah. That when we go through grief, when we have a loss, our system understands it a certain way. And every time we experience it, we go to that place. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily stay there, but we certainly touch it and yeah. we feel it and we go through it. And that's just how we work. I don't necessarily know the science of that phenomenon, <laughs> but it, it's our brains just know through. Mm-hmm. repeated patterns of this yeah. is what we go through. This is how we do it. And every time it, it's, we're going to get angry. We're going to be shocked. We're going to be sad. Mm-hmm. We're going to have denial. We're going to go through bargaining. Like we will go through all of that mm-hmm. and we understand it more and more. And we're willing, I think, to go through the process rather than fight it off or avoid it yeah. or or drink or take some substances mm-hmm. to, to numb or not. Yeah. And if you do, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. We can lessen it that way. Some people, I've known some people that have needed to take a Valium or, or take a Benzo to, to get sleep or, or to be okay yeah. and get through something because it's just too overwhelming in the moment. It's too painful. Right. Like, right. that's really what it is. I don't know if you've heard this metaphor before around grief, but the ball in the box. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I referenced that on here. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Maybe that's where I've actually heard it from. <laughs> now we're getting really heard, meta. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but I heard it on this podcast, your mental breakdown. Um, right. There's this really great therapist guy named Doug. I've never heard of him. Yeah. He's a quack. You but <laughs> I think that, that the ball in the box, the idea being grief is grief. If you don't know it, I, I'm thinking if you guys are listening, you probably do because I've mentioned it. Mm-hmm. If you picture just a square. And on one side of the square, there's a button, and that's grief. Okay. Then picture a giant ball in that square, a giant circle in that square. Mm-hmm. As it moves around, it's constantly going to be hitting that grief button. What happens over time is that ball gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So instead of occupying almost the entire square and constantly bumping the grief button, it's like the size of a, of a dot in there. And it will just bounce around all over the place. Yet when it does hit that grief button, the grief button hasn't changed. It's the same grief button. Yeah. It's the same feelings, yeah. that same sense of all of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So you go through all of it. And it's just as painful. Yeah. I think about it sometimes as like frequency, duration, and intensity. Mm. And I hate to sound mm. so clinical, clinical in this moment. Yeah. Right. But having experienced loss personally, like when it comes up, it comes up just as hard. Yeah. <sighs> and the thing about the, the the ball in the box 
is we think, oh, great, the ball is getting smaller, so it's not going to affect me as much or as often. Mm. Cool. Yet sometimes the intensity feels more because we're not feeling it all the time. Mm -hmm. And you could get hit with it. And Sarah's even made reference, like hearing a certain song. Yeah. Or I got together with with my siblings and we were talking about this and I didn't realize it. It's when we don't realize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if the ball is almost as big as the box and it's constantly hitting it, you're aware that you are constantly in grief. Yeah. When you're not, you turn a corner, you go into a store and you hear a song playing and boom, it hits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that hurts. Right. And you weren't expecting it. Right. Which is going back kind of into this whole idea of shock for her. Mm, yeah. Because there was not a way for her to see this. There was not a way for her to plan for it. There was not a way for oh, her right. to prepare for it. No way. No, she didn't even know. And it, it was yeah. two things. It was it was one that he's doing worse. Like the doctor even saying mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, it's bad. He's it's not bad. going to recover. Mm. And the other being, oh yeah, he can't get a new liver because he's an alcoholic and has been. Mm -hmm. And a handle of vodka a day, like that's gnarly. That's, that's a, a lot. lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And I love how you kept circling it back to, and he was probably even better at hiding it from you. Like right. when I used to work in substance abuse treatment, there's a saying where it's like, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Right. But it really just takes the onus of responsibility off of her. Like right. you didn't do anything wrong. Right. And not that he did either. He did the best he could to cope with his situation. And right. this idea of we all must pay for our sins. Can, yeah, can was... we hit that for a minute? Because that, at the, right at the beginning where she said that, I was like, oh, please, Doug, go into that. And right. she wasn't able to. Right. And we'll go there later because yeah. that line stuck with her. Mm -hmm. And she did, she did reference this. There was another, I think a sibling or somebody that ended his own life, yeah. couldn't live with that. And he was kind of, I think, I don't know at all, alluding to the things that he's been through. So he's got to pay for some of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that I think we all carry some sense of that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that anybody has earned suffering. No. And maybe there's some people that we might think are deserving of suffering because they have made others suffer. Okay. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. No. We're talking about somebody that she cares deeply about who's going through something. Mm -hmm. And he may have reconciled to, all right. This is the karmic justice. This is mm -hmm. just a lot in life that I've got. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's not okay with that. And that's part of why she has the quest for righteousness mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. I don't want to suffer yet. She spent a lot of her life suffering. Correct. Yeah. And therefore if she can take suffering away from anyone. Right. Like that is also the quest. Yeah. Going back to this idea for a second of like, you're angry because you don't have any control. You're angry because you're powerless. There's so much there. And, mm. you know, circling back to her idea of control, it's the t-shirt. And I love how much the t-shirt comes up. Like, right. keep calm. Sarah will handle it. Right. And you going to, and what's on the back of that t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I love that she's like, yeah, well, that's a QR code. You got to scan it. You got to scan it. And you'll see. You'll see everything that's written there, and and it's pretty telling because there is a bigger story underneath it on on the flip side of it, and there's mm -hmm. there's more, and that's what we're uncovering and what we're going along with her to do. Mm -hmm. We are 
looking at what that QR code has brought up, what that yeah. Bruce Almighty cabinet reveals. Mm-hmm. We're going through it so that she's not going to have to feel like, oh, all of these things I've been through now, I need to pay for them or suffer mm-hmm. through them or do that. Like, yeah. no, no, let's, let's not handle, let's open up the compartments and look at it and mm-hmm. free yourself from holding this burden for so long. Yeah. There's this moment where she kind of brings it back to herself. And like, Mm. I think it's before you guys hit on the t-shirt in the front and the back, but this idea of, wow, there's so many people in my life who don't know my experience, who don't know all that I carried, who don't know me. Right. And having that be this moment of realization, like, wow, maybe I didn't know my cousin in this context. Right. Yet again, back to powerless. Yeah. And that people will only know what we allow them to know. Yeah. When I said it to her, like he didn't want you to know that he was dying, that he was slowly Mm -hmm. killing himself Yeah. in the same way that she doesn't want anybody to know. And I even said it to her directly. You've slowly been killing yourself for decades, Mm -hmm. not intentionally, but the way that she's going, and she said it to me several times, like, I'm going to give myself cancer if I keep doing this. Yeah. You know? And that's, she said, like, yeah, hashtag cancer, hashtag yeah. ulcers. That idea of right, right, right. I need to not be in silence. I need to let this out. And there's, again, the word of the day, the meta for this here mm-hmm. is she's doing all of this on a public podcast. Like, she's putting this out there for people to, I mean, granted, they don't know who she is, and that's the point. Mm-hmm. She's going, hey, look. Let's not suffer in silence. I'm not. Yeah. And that's something I hope you guys can take away. If you do identify with her, mm-hmm. with this in any way, talk to somebody, whether it's a therapist, whether it's your friends, mm-hmm. whether it's a hotline, like yeah. talk Post about on it. Reddit. Who knows? Right. Whatever. Like Post it. just absolutely don't hold it in if you need to not be alone and suffer in silence. Yeah. There's nothing worse that idea of burdening people or wanting to spare them. Mm -hmm. I would challenge that if I'm going to challenge and say, right, that's to not feel your own guilt, shame, and embarrassment. Okay. And if I'm going to be a little more compassionate, I think that is compassionate though, Mm -hmm. but I'll say, right. And there are people that won't feel burdened that will listen. And like therapists, like us, we're trained to listen. This is what we do. And we can help and guide. And as I said, the very last thing in this session, and I'll be here with you for it. We all, as humans, deserve to have people be here with us. Yeah. See us, witness us, and walk with us. Yeah. Please don't suffer in silence. I mean, that really is what we're doing here. Yeah. As humans existing, as us on the podcast, Mm -hmm. and hopefully what you guys will be doing in your lives. Speak up. Yeah. And use Sarah right now as, I want to say like a surrogate, because for someone who Mm. doesn't, who has this quest for justice for others, here she is for someone who only really stands up for others. Her doing this podcast is really her quest for righteous justice for herself. Mm. And I don't know if she knows that yet. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. So Meta. Use it. Use it. Meta. Yeah. Use it. (laughs) Use us. Use whatever resources. And we will be back here with you to cope next week. Please come on back. If you haven't already, 
rate us, review us. It helps us out um, wherever you're listening to the podcast. Just click the little thing to rate, write a little review. Mm-hmm. Join us on social media. We're on we're on all of them now. Search for your mental breakdown. You can email us info at yourmentalbreakdown.com. Check out our website. The merch is going to be there. I keep threatening like, oh, it's going to be there any day now. Let's see this merch, man. You've seen it. I've seen some of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want a really cool like merch thing. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's and coming. I'm sure there's, I am not the only person who really wants the relax. Nothing is under control shirt. Right. Mm. It's coming. It's yeah. all coming. Awesome. It's all, all happening. Right, friends. We'll talk at you next week. Bye. Bye.